What can your company learn from Blue Wave Solar, which has been ranked alongside Patagonia as one of the most impactful companies in the world? I've been impressed with Blue Wave's anti-racist action plan and progress on this initiative, as well as its B Corp status and commitment to the triple bottom line. In today's Greenlight episode, I will speak with Blue Wave CEO Trevor Hardy and VP of Marketing Safiya Khan about their recommendations for implementing successful diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice initiatives, ranging from forming an internal advisory council to partnering with external organizations. I will also speak with them about why mentorship and diverse leadership are critical, as well as about how their agrivoltaic projects are supporting the triple bottom line. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green. I'm very excited today to have Blue Wave with me, Trevor Hardy and Sophia Khan. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Catherine. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. My name is Sophia Khan. I am a VP of Marketing at Blue Wave Solar. My background mostly involves strategy, launching new products, and kind of always a heavy emphasis on helping our company or any other company I've been at be more mission-driven and have more impact apart from just its bottom line. Thanks, Sophia. Catherine, I'm Trevor Hardy, CEO and co-founder at Blue Wave. My background is primarily in real estate private equity. I left that business in 2011, wanting to do something more meaningful with my life (laughs) and joined up with John and Eric and co-founded Blue Wave. They'd started the company the the year before, and I was the third partner in the boat with them. Yeah, I spend most of my time focusing on how to get the company from A to Z. I'm not smart enough to understand a lot of the more visionary aspects of the business, but take a lot of direction from folks like John, Eric, Mark, Sylvia, Larry, a number of folks in our organization who have a really great ability and capability to look around corners. And I focus on working with the team to get us there. Great. And just in case any inquiring minds want to know, where is your exit from? You you have to guess. South Africa. (laughs) That's right. Yes. Yep. Born in South Africa. I worked for a year in London, studied in South Africa, did all my schooling out there, worked for a year in London, and then Came to grad school in 2000, first time I'd ever been to the U.S., thought I was going to be here for a couple of years, and here I am over 20 years later with my wife and two kids, and very happy to be here. Still very much in love with South Africa. And rugby, I take it. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the fact that you all are a B Corp. I'm really fascinated by B Corps. There aren't a lot of companies in our industry that are B Corps. I think Three Degrees comes to mind. So tell us a bit about what a B Corp means and why exactly you received this status. We proceeded for us as was a very natural thing to do. Catherine, a triple bottom, bottom line approach has always been the way that we have done things. I said my own career progression, I wanted to do something more meaningful. Thinking about and seeing the development of these solar projects is a lot more than just putting modules in the ground has been a core part of our DNA from the get-go. That I think is a key part of the reason why we chose to become a certified B Corp. It really just followed from what we were actually organically doing as a company and a team anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And I want to give John DeVillers, who's the chairman and co-founder of the company, a lot of credit for setting that tone from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It was one of the key reasons why I knew that John and Eric were the folks that I wanted to work with and partner with to build a company. John has been great over the years in not only setting that tone, but also holding us accountable as a team. And we're very proud of what we've accomplished from a B Corp point of view, we've been voted amongst the most impactful companies in the world over the last two years running, and we still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. But taking a very holistic approach to what we're doing is, I think, just part of who we are, and most importantly, a big part of the people that we hire. Yeah, I'd add to that, Trevor, that on the one hand, being a B Corp means you go through a very rigorous certification process, as you probably know, Catherine, and For us, we're constantly trying to increase our score, not to win, but basically because it helps us be even more mission-driven and more impactful across the triple bottom lines. And to Trevor's point just now, Catherine, you mentioned that you know Chad Nichols. Chad mentioned to me a few weeks ago, we were just talking, he said one of his greatest fears would be working for a company that wasn't a B Corp. And even someone like Rachel, who's our office manager, she's so heavily involved in the B Corp community. We have a lot of people who came here because we're B Corps and they live that authentically as individuals and working at Blue Wave gives them an additional value to their work. You're 100% correct on that. It was very important to Chad when he was looking at organizations. And, you know, I definitely think it's important to a lot of people just from an employee point of view, your suppliers, customers, everyone. There's only positive things that can come from it. So, yeah, I want to talk about this anti-racism action plan. Blue Wave established this anti-racism action plan last year that includes specific action items like setting up anti-racism advisory board, providing anti-racism training, recognizing Juneteenth as an annual firm holiday, and examining your hiring processes, pay, equity, and retention, professional training programs. What progress has Blue Wave made on this plan so far, and what are some lessons that you can share with others that may want to implement this? Yeah, thank you. Trevor and I were saying we could talk about this for a half a day. It's been so important to us in the past year. I'll start with the progress. So as you kind of alluded to, the way we built our program, it was very much hands-on. We didn't say that we were going to throw tons of money at it. It was more so we were looking at how could we build a program that A, was authentic and impactful for where we are, but Also, that would be impactful in the long term. Basically, all eyes weren't on this issue like they were at this time last year. We wanted to build something that would be really sustainable for us and for the industry and for our communities. So Mm -hmm. those were the three pillars we tried to act on internally for the company, what we could do to further our industry and what we could do for the communities that we work and live in. Internally as a company, we've gotten a lot done. There are certainly things we didn't get to yet, but still intend to. But Mm -hmm. we were able to do things like we did implement a formal process for assessing all of our employee compensation to ensure that we removed any sort of basically prejudice there and how people were compensated, how they were promoted. We expanded our recruiting and hiring practices, and we're already fortunately seeing results from that and having a more diverse executive team already. One area that we didn't get to in the past year and that is still very high in our list of priorities was that we found a phenomenal um, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion consultant who is a woman, a black woman owned B Corp, Tessie Mm -hmm. Consulting. We plan on bringing them on board later this year. When we first built the plan, had intended to have already done that at this stage. I just wanted to share with you things that we also didn't get to do yet. 
The other bucket is about bringing justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion to the industry, not just in how we work in the industry, but perhaps helping others, mm -hmm. our friends and competitors yep. and allies in the industry to create more of a diverse clean energy industry. You may know that it's already yep. very well-intentioned fields, but it's also very much filled by white males. It's also very accessible mostly to yep. upper middle class and wealthy communities. So in terms of the industry, what we thought we could do most easily and most sustainably was to create more pathways for young people from either lower income or more diverse communities to have access to the clean energy industry. As you and your listeners probably already know, young people tend to be networked based on what their families and communities are entrenched in. So if they're not in communities where people are already working in these industries, they may never have an opportunity to say, hey, can you get my kid a job or an internship next summer? Or can I get a job there right out of college? So we have partnered with multiple organizations, the Private Industry Council in Boston and Root, All in Energy to work on creating internships for youth from lower income groups and people of color and just the more urban parts of Massachusetts so that we're getting more high school students and college students coming in to our internship programs. And the other thing that we've been able to do is to really work on our policy team to push more for policies that create more accessibility for Black, Indigenous people of color and lower income people to community solar. This is something not just Blue Wave, honestly, but the industry has been trying to solve for many years and it's never been really able really been possible for us to get the policies aligned with the investors who really own the projects and determine a lot of what we can do with the projects and then how we're able to go out into the field. So for instance, being able to have a fully functional bilingual community solar project is something that we're not able to do and we weren't able to do in the past or even on the development side, being able to provide the right incentives that are supported by the policies to do so. A lot of that has been happening in the industry, but also we take great part in our policy team that's been pushing quite a bit of that. And then the third bucket is how we how we bring justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion to our communities. We hope that the work we do by default helps the communities, but as you know, the communities that are most affected by climate change and fossil fuels tend to be brown and black communities and lower income communities. And as I mentioned earlier, those are also the communities that have the least access to clean energy. By default, we're hoping that our work impacts that and our ability to prioritize working in those communities. We've also started doing things like where we're building projects, acknowledging the indigenous people's lands who we're building on. And we're at the nascent stages of starting to work with the indigenous peoples on some of those lands where we're starting to build on. We have our first pilots with that happening now. And then another thing that we've done with our anti-racism work over the past year, which was very much driven by volunteers within the company. We didn't go out and hire people to do this work. We just all carved out extra time to do these things. But since last year was a really important election year, we worked heavily with the elections and the census as well to do phone banking, letter writing, educating people on and supporting representatives who were overtly anti-racist and who were also overtly um, for environmental justice and clean energy. Those are some of the high-level areas where we have succeeded to date or we've made progress to date. And there are a ton of things that we've learned um, and a ton of areas for us to continuously improve. Trevor, I was thinking maybe you could share some of the lessons we've learned from your perspective. 
know, we could chat a long time about this. Hey, I want to give Sophia a huge amount of credit for being one of the many folks in our company who has really risen to the occasion unsurprisingly. And as leaders of the company, what we tried to do was create, I think one of the most important things we did was open up the space internally as a company, as a team to enable this to grow and enable this to happen. We wanted this to become, to Sophia's point, something that was not a flash in the pan, but you know, meaningful and sustainable engagement from us as a team. Sophia and a number of folks internally deserve a huge amount of credit for the the great work that they've done. For me personally, I'll be honest and say I don't feel I've done enough yet. And one of the, the key challenges, and I was going to mention this earlier, of being a B Corp is balancing the three aspects of that triple bottom line approach. This is something that I care very deeply about personally. I grew up in apartheid South Africa. My parents insisted that we go to uh, fully integrated schooling. My parents insisted that we learn how to speak a black language. You know, diversity in the workplace, diversity in the community is a core part of one of the principles that I stand for and we stand for as a, as a company. It's also a very meaningful part of core mission and our goals. I mean, we set out as a company and a team to revolutionize the energy world. The key part of that mission is providing access to everyone. Renewables should not be something which is enjoyed by wealthy families. It should be, that is a core part of what we feel renewables stand for is truly access for everyone. And I think the industry as a whole has got a lot of work to do on this front. And we're pushing really hard and we feel really grateful that we're in a state like Massachusetts, which is probably, I think, one of the greatest renewable incubators in the world. We're working very hard and we were really hard to join the industry and establish a meaningful community solar program in the first place. And we're now also working very hard to make sure that low and moderate income families get access to renewables as well, which has been a real challenge from a financing and a bankability standpoint, but we're yeah. getting really close on that. So, you know, I would say the biggest challenge to address Sophia's question in terms of lessons learned is just how do we balance this and how do we make this a sustainable initiative at Blue Wave going forward? Very confident that because of this sort of grassroots nature that this has established itself internally with our team, that that effort is going to be enduring. And it was also, I think, a very meaningful rallying effort or rallying initiative for the team during the whole COVID ep epidemic last year where we were all remote. And this was very clearly something that's an initiative that the team felt really deeply about. And I think to some extent became a bonding initiative for our broader team over what was a very difficult time. People felt like they wanted to do something but didn't know what was in their place to do or didn't know how to even make a difference. As a company that cares about climate change, how do we use what we're working on to solve that problem to also address systemic racism overall, but within the energy world. And it gave our, all of myself included, Trevor included, it gave all of us actual frameworks for how we could make individual impact and impact as a company. So as an employee for me too, it was, even though we took on a lot of extra work um, <laughs> as this group of volunteers, it was very, it has been and continues to be really meaningful to us. Something else I wanted to add, two other things in the lessons learned. One is that 
because we did this as a grassroots, we have some ground rules if you're doing this work on the, with our volunteer team. And one of them is your job title has no merit in that working group or all equals in that group. And part of that was to ensure the reason we have systemic racism at all is because we have hierarchies of power right. that have that have favored certain groups over others. And we wanted to ensure that the way we worked on this work, we literally call this the work because we think it's the most important thing we could be doing, that we removed hierarchies while we were in those groups. So if Trevor showed up one day, he might have to do a spreadsheet for someone who is many layers his junior in the rest of the company. Similarly, that we learned was that, again, systemic racism and environmental injustice has a lot to do with separation, not having empathy and not being able to collaborate with the other. And we tried to structure our work internally so differently than we do in the rest of the company so that we actively fostered valuing empathy and collaboration more than we necessarily would in our regular day-to-day work. There were qualities that we have highly prioritized in how we did our work and continue to do so. It's almost like a social experiment. Can we create a reform in how we lead an organization and how we get things done together in a way that could be replicated in society if we wanted to? That's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's really (laughs) impressive. I'm like so proud of you all and I think companies are really going to benefit from hearing from this and uh, hopefully we'll follow suit. I also want to talk a little bit about mentorship which I know is something else that you all are very passionate about. The vast majority of marketers are women, as you've said before in some of your talks, Sophia, but less than 50% are CMOs. What would you say are some of the critical factors in your career success thus far, whether it would be mentors or anything else that has got you to where you are today? When you first said that question in my mind, it was sort of like, what success do you mean? It could be, is it your actual career path, which might be a typical Mm -hmm. idea of success? Is it how much you're actually fulfilled by the work Mm -hmm. that you do? How much you feel like what you're doing is kind of aligned with who you are on the inside? Mm -hmm. It could be financial. It could be a lot. Or how much freedom you have. For me, all of those things are things that I judge success by. I've told Trevor and I about this anti-racism work. I've spoken many times and I've told them it's a bit dramatic, but I truly ask myself on a regular basis, if I died tomorrow, would I be okay with this decision I'm making right now? Would I be okay with how I'm living my life right now? And that has a lot to do with what I consider success. But you're right about mentorship. I think from a purely professional perspective that half of it is you know have you chosen work that you're great at and you're working really hard and continuing to learn and grow and the other half is that we all stand on the shoulders of giants and the people who went before us that Mm -hmm. stands for any path you're on it definitely stands for women I've been extremely fortunate to have had over the years, phenomenal mentors, both in kind of, I grew up in product management and then moved into marketing. So in those fields, and also as being a woman in energy, I've had phenomenal mentors there. And there are people that I mentor and I learn from them as well. So there's the standing on the shoulders of giants. Another aspect of that, we were saying that Trevor is from South Africa. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. I was looking back recently and noticed that for half of the really meaningful jobs I've had, like my, my first, first job that got me on the product management path, and then my first job in energy, those were really pivotal jobs for me. They were all, the people who hired me were all either immigrants or women of, or people of color. And none of that ever came up in the discussions, but in retrospect, as I look back, I think that's part of why we need diverse leadership, because it creates more diverse diversity. Yeah. 
in our workers themselves. Yeah. And in addition to that, I've been able to have some really phenomenal managers, advocates, who some of whom are white males, and they're just, like we mm -hmm. talked about, the collaboration and the empathy, someone who's empowered to advocate for you, which isn't always the case, but those those are cases where, again, the shoulders of giants have been really meaningful to me. And as an individual, I would say I've also spent a lot of time and money investing in pursuing work and pursuing a lifestyle that for me aligns, like I mentioned earlier, my inner self and my outer self, because yeah. that gives you a lot more to give to your job and gives mm -hmm. you many different layers of fulfillment in what you're doing, which probably applies to a lot of people at a company like Lulu, where most of us are there because of mission. Mm -hmm. And we're there because, yes, we may be great at marketing or developing projects or whatnot, but we're also able to bring our whole selves to work. And we're surrounded by these phenomenal people doing the same thing. It's so interesting that the point that you said really stuck with me was that you didn't realize at the time when you look back, a lot of the people that had given you the shot were people similar mm -hmm. to yourself. And that's why it's so important. I, I'm such an advocate for networking because I think networking, you know, giving to others first and not expecting anything in return, you know, pays dividends. So the whole ethos of net of being a serial networker, that's what that's what I think it is by helping other people in your situation, which is why I love what I do. I love helping you know, women because <laughs> I'm quite passionate about women because I'm a woman. <laughs> so it makes sense. <laughs> I, have a, I have a similar experience, Catherine, where I was a young fellow off the boat from South Africa. I had absolutely no network here whatsoever. Yeah. I knew no one. And I had not been for one fellow specifically who was my first boss, who I interned for my first summer in the U.S., who took me under under his wing. He was an Irish Catholic fellow from Charlestown, and Jimmy Travers. <laughs> and Jimmy took me under his wing and gave me a shot. Yeah. And if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be here where I am today. No, yeah. no question about it. Yeah. And I've been incredibly fortunate to have a number of mentors over time. And anyway, my, my life could have turned out very, very differently had people not given me a, a crack to despite probably not even knowing where South Africa was, some of them, you know, at the yeah. time before I educated them. <laughs> probably think you're from Australia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to finish with a question about solar. So Blue Waves quickly emerged as a leader in agrivoltaics. So for anyone that doesn't know, uh, the dual use of land uh, for both solar and agriculture. I'm interested to know what motivated Blue Wave to get involved with projects like these. Do you think these projects come with a higher upfront price point? And if so, do you still foresee Blue Wave working on many more agrivoltaic projects in the years to come? Dual-use agrivoltaics is going to be a huge part of what Blue Wave does going forward. Yes, it's more expensive. You basically got to raise the entire system six to eight feet above the ground relative to a standard ground mount system. Why we went down this road in the first place, again, it was just part of our DNA. We've worked very closely with a lot of farmers, not only in the US, but also in South Africa. We have a large, uh, a meaningful pipeline of projects down in South Africa. I come from a farming family in South Africa, and I understand what it means to have steady income coming in the door. Farming can be one of the most volatile and risky, unpredictable industries to be in. And trust me, I, I know that because every October, November, I'm on the phone with my old man trying to understand what the mango and lychee crop yield will be this year because my parents' livelihood depends on it. So, yeah, I think, again, it was just 
really part of our DNA. We saw a lot of value. We wanted to work and expand our ability to work with farming families. We also saw it as a great avenue to address a lot of brewing concern about land use in tighter markets like Massachusetts, Maine, you know, anywhere in the Northeast where land is at a premium. We understand why communities don't want to see a lot of clear cutting and, and, and other impacts from traditional ground mount solar. Just like Sophia has, has really stepped up and the groundswell of internal support on the Jedi front, We've also had a number of folks, Drew Pearson deserves a lot of credit internally, who really stepped up, incredibly passionate about dual-use solar. We've worked and engaged very, very early on with not only the DOER, but also American Farmland Trust, University of Massachusetts, a number of organizations to um, you know, really push this forward. We're incredibly proud right now to be under construction with a three and a half megawatt facility, dual use facility in partnership with, with AES in Grafton, Massachusetts. That also has DC coupled storage integrated. Mm-hmm. And um, that project should be done within the next uh, few months, hopefully. That is the fourth project that we are doing with uh, the Knowlton family. And I stood on that hill in Grafton probably seven, eight years ago with Paul Knowlton when they were really in in tough shape and figuring out how they as a family could continue to hang on to this land that I believe had been in their family for three or four generations. And just incredibly proud of that effort and we think is going to be just a big, big part of what we do as Blue Wave going forward and frankly what the industry should be doing going forward as well. It is a total win-win-win for everyone involved, for the local community, for land use, for agriculture, for renewable energy, for grid integration if you integrate battery storage. It is tough to understand why we aren't doing more of this and it's going to be, we have a very large portfolio of dual use assets that we are working um, on in Massachusetts. We are also pursuing this on a voluntary basis in markets like Maine. We're under construction there and it's a three or four megawatt project, a Rockport, where we're working with a blueberry farmer and really using that as a test ground to understand the impact not only of the operations of the system, but also the the construction of the system on an existing blueberry farming operation. So um, there's a lot to learn for everyone to learn, but, you know, obviously also tremendously meaningful to me personally. And my dream is to one day put up some kind of a dual use system on our farm in South Africa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's not the same kind of support out there from an economic standpoint as there is in the US, but hopefully we can make that happen at some point. It would give my, my father a lot of uh, joy uh-huh. and pride, I think. <laughs> well, I've learned so much from you both, and I thank you so much for sharing your stories and your time with me today. Thank you, too. It's been really wonderful to spend this time with you and to talk about these topics that we hold so near and dear to our heart. Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate it and great to spend time with you. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry-leading clean tech companies First, post new job openings from development to finance to marketing by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. 
Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.